Awesome. Merry Christmas, everybody. Wow. Let's try that again. I appreciate the four of you who said Merry Christmas to me. I'm not going to take that personally, and so we're going to try that again. Rewind. Merry Christmas, everybody. There you go. My goodness. Great to have you with us. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Those of you joining us, Ferndale and online as well. Just really, really glad that you're here. A couple of announcements as we get started. And uh, yeah, I, I, I found an, an interesting survey this past week, which really kind of captured me. It was titled this, The Top Five Times That People Are Open to Considering Matters of Faith. So the top five life moments when somebody is open to hearing about what God is saying. Number five, after the birth of a baby at 28%. Number four, after a natural disaster at 34%. Number three, after a major national crisis, i.e. 9-11, 38%. During the Easter season, also 38%. And the number one time during the year when people's hearts are open to hearing and considering matters of faith at 47%, Christmas. Christmas. This is the time when we as God's people can invite people knowing that their hearts are soft. And so I just want to encourage you to grab some invitations as you're leaving, to give them to people personally, firsthand. Take a risk. Step across the line. Say, you know, I'm going to Christmas Eve at Christ the King, and I'd love for you to come along with me. Five services to choose from. I mean, just a great opportunity. Going to leave that with you and hope that you'll really work through that. This Sunday night begins the, the week of my favorite, two, uh, my favorite two services during the entire year. On Sunday evening here at the Bellingham campus, we're doing candlelight communion. The first opportunity is at 5.30. That has child care. And then again, it's 7 o'clock with no child care. Last year, we packed out one service, so we decided we better try two And it's just a wonderful, quiet, intimate evening when we get to come as the people of God and celebrate the fact that we know why he came. That we know why it was that he showed up and what his ultimate goal was. And I want to invite you to come and be a part of Candlelight Communion. And then uh, Christmas Eve, this Friday evening. um, Christmas Eve is an amazing time. I love Christmas Eve. I'm praying there's no snow so we can do it. In fact, I'm going to go on record and say this. I don't care if it snows or not. I'm coming to Christmas Eve, and it might be just me and you, but we're having Christmas Eve services this year. No matter what, I'm here. I'll sleep overnight on Thursday if I have to, but I'm showing up, okay? The services are at 3.35, 6.38, and 9.30, and those are our weekend services. We're not here next Saturday. We're not here next Sunday. The staff is going to go home and just lay down. That's what we're doing. We're all going to take a nap, and I want to encourage you to be with your family. And then the following weekend, the first weekend in January, there is no Saturday night service because it's New Year's Day, but we will have a regular Sunday schedule at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Just want to encourage you to be a part of all of those Christmas services as well. Some of you are praying through right now whether or not you're going to participate in year-end giving. Sometimes towards the end of the year, God really lays something on our heart to to do something a little extra in order to reach um, out to our church family. And I just want to encourage you to be praying and thinking through that. We actually have additional office hours the last week of the year so that people can participate in year-end giving. And I'll leave that to you, good conscience. This is the most amazing, uh, amazing group of people. And this uh, Christmas Eve night, I'll also be telling you how unbelievably you responded to the Christ the King blessing this year, which is just an amazing thing. So lots going on. 
Let's celebrate Christmas in spirit and in truth because we know the guest of honor. Amen? We know him. Okay, let's get started. And I think we could all agree that Christmas and the concept of home are unbelievably connected. I mean, all you got to do is turn on your radio or turn on your television set these days, and you're going to see a connection between Christmas and home right in front of you. Songs like, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. Or, oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Or one of my favorite Christmas movies, Home Alone. I mean, all of them point to this warm... You like that one too, huh? Yeah. I mean, I mean, they all point to this warm, loving, accepting environment that we like to call home. In fact, for simplicity's sake, I think you could define home this way. I believe that home is a place of warmth and shelter. There's something inside of each one of us that desperately feels like we want to have a place that we can call home. If you studied in high school or in college, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs you know that there's something inside of each one of us that is a basic human need we look for to be met in something called shelter. There's another word for shelter in our world today, and that's the word home. Now, realistically, this is the concept of home gets really tough for some people around Christmas time because the reality was that, that their home was not what it was supposed to be. So let me describe for you what home is supposed to be. I put this inside of your program. Home is supposed to be a place of safety. It's supposed to be a place where, where you're protected from the world. But unfortunately for some of us, it wasn't a place of safety. It was a place of danger. I mean, depending on how you grew up, there was difficulty at home. In fact, you may have tried to stay away from home as much as you possibly could because there was no safety for you at all. In fact, it was just downright dangerous to have to end up at home at some point. Home is supposed to be a place of peace, supposed to be a place where we can escape the chaos of the world and just find just a quieter moment when, when our heart and our soul is just able to be exactly who it is that God created us to be. Unfortunately for some of us, though, growing up, home was not a place of peace. It was a place of chaos. It was a place where people fought. It was a place where, where hurtful words were, were exchanged between people. And, and instead of being loved and accepted for who we are, we found ourselves being beaten down. Home is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a place to be, a place of, of love and acceptance where, where you just got to be who God created you to be. But unfortunately for some people, home was a place to avoid. I mean, it was a place where, where, where you avoided conflict at all costs. You lived in a world of denial. And if you could create some distance between you and that place, that's exactly where you went. Finally, home was supposed to be a place of shelter, a place where we could run to and know that there was protection from our parents and, and, and from God himself. But unfortunately for some people, home's not a place of shelter, it's a place of exposure. It's a place where you felt wide open to all different kinds of, of hurtful words and attitudes. And, and I know for some of us, hopefully, we never had to live in the extremes, right? I mean, I don't believe anybody lived in this perfect little world where everything was, was wonderful and we had a street on Pleasantville and there was never anything wrong and, and mom and dad never did anything ever that was just wrong and, and hopefully we never ended up on the other side where, where home was hell and, and we wanted to hopefully, I mean, I mean, we didn't live on either one of those extremes but somewhere in between there was a moment of reality but I think no matter how perfect or brutal your home may have been, I'm hoping that you could at least find some of these things as a reality, that, that, that home was, was, 
in some ways what it was supposed to be. You know, we all have a different picture of home at Christmas. Some are warm and inviting. That was me. I was blessed with an amazing home. I had incredible parents. They're going to be here in a couple of days. And and I'm going to tell you something. If you grew up in a home that was what it was supposed to be, you should thank God because you're in a very small minority. You should thank Jesus for the fact that he puts you into that home. For others, when we think about home, it was kind of cold and indifferent. And if that's you, maybe this weekend, from the word of God, I can help you find another way home. I'm going to tell you something. This is not my way. This is his way. And I hope you'll walk out of here encouraged and excited about the fact that that no matter what home may have been, that there's a new home available and waiting for you and that that home is in Christ Jesus this Christmas. This weekend, we're going to walk with Mary and Joseph because for them, in reality, home was a tough deal. Scripture tells us Mary and Joseph left home only to be returning at some point down the road again. Their eventual return happened for a couple of years and then they end up moving back out again because God says, you got to go somewhere else. And they have to go somewhere else for a time and they build that as home. And before they get really comfortable there, God's sending them another different direction completely. I mean, it's a difficult thing for us and it's a difficult thing for, for Mary and Joseph. But, but I want to know, what can we learn from these two amazing young people about establishing our own home for Christmas? You see, their reality is that their home was constantly changing. I kind of laid this out in, the, in, in, in your outline so you can walk through it in Scripture with me. They start off in a town called Nazareth, and then they get sent to Bethlehem. The passage in Luke chapter 2 tells us that at this particular time in history, that a census was ordered, and everybody had to go back to their hometown, the home of their origin, where their family actually came from. So for me, it would be Minnetonis, Manitoba, just outside of Swan River, because that's where all the fish books and the smiths came from. Isn't that crazy? One half of my family's named Fishbook, the other half is Smith. How do you put those two together, right? But that would be my hometown. The Bible says this in Luke 2. Everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So home used to be Nazareth until God sends them to a little town called Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem because there are all kinds of Old Testament prophecies about the fact that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and not from Nazareth. So God had to relocate Joseph and Mary. So they leave home so they could welcome a king. And here's the amazing thing about the king. He was leaving his home for the first time too. Jesus was leaving his heavenly home, this perfect place that that we can't even comprehend in order to come here so that we could have a way home to God too. If you want to know just how beautiful and breathtaking heaven is, just think this. God took seven days to make this And he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. Nice, right? Nice. Jesus is leaving home so we can find a way home to God. And after Jesus is born, it's time for them to leave Bethlehem and head back home. 
The Bible says they go from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then they end up going from Bethlehem back to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says this. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child became strong and he was filled with wisdom and notice this, and the grace of God was upon him. From the very beginning, Jesus has the grace of God all over him. What kind of grace is that? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've learned it. It's the grace that welcomes outsiders, like the wise men and like us. It's the grace that welcomes people who were kind of stuck in a dead-end life. And then one day are completely and totally astonished to find out that they're on the guest list for the birthday of Jesus. The kind of grace that would welcome people like shepherds and like us to come and to, and to, to celebrate the fact that Messiah has come. I love this. The grace of God was all over him because he was God in human flesh. Jesus perfectly human and perfectly God at the same time. Here, wrapped in a baby. Coming to search for people like me and you. Joseph and Mary getting settled back home. And as soon as they get settled into Nazareth, just a couple of years go by and Jesus begins to grow. And guess what? Time to go again. The Bible says in Matthew 2 that God then sends them from Nazareth to Egypt of all places. A couple of years later, the scripture says this. It says, when they had gone, talking about the wise men who we met in the first week of the series, when the wise men had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. I mean, can you imagine that? You're woken up in the middle of the night and you're told you need to pack up your stuff and go. This is not your home anymore. I'm going to send you to a place that you wouldn't think a normal Israelite Jewish person would want to go. Of all the places you could have picked, you didn't go to Egypt. A little bit of history between Israel and Egypt, right? Still is. And yet in the middle of the night, God wakes him up. I mean, was that convenient? I don't think so. Was it scary? I mean, I think of someone threatening the life of my son. Yeah, that'd be scary for me. Was it essential? Absolutely. I mean, in that moment, we can so relate to Joseph and Mary. All of a sudden, God wakes them up in the middle of the night. They're in danger. They got to go. The son, their son is being threatened. And all of a sudden, they're packing up. There's all kinds of chaos. And suddenly, the place of Nazareth, which was home, is a place to avoid. And suddenly, they're in the middle of the night, and they're getting out of there, and they're exposed, and they're scared. Can we relate to them now? And, and don't think. I mean, this is the thing that just kind of blows me away. We get this picture of Joseph and Mary. You know, Joseph's about 50. You know, he's got a great 401k. He's been through so much in his life. He's really wise. He doesn't get ruffled in anything. And Mary is this mature, beautiful old woman. I mean, it's just not reality. Joseph was probably about 16. Mary was probably about 14 years old. She's pregnant. The stigma is hanging all over them. And in the middle of the night, God says, pack up your stuff and go to Egypt. Go to enemy territory. But here's the amazing thing. Joseph and Mary go. They've been completely faithful and obedient to everything God has asked, and God has never let them down. I mean, were there times of confusion that probably would have convinced them to not be obedient? I don't know. What do you think? 
An angel shows up at night in her bedroom and says, excuse me, you're going to have a baby. Even though you've never been with a man, you're going to have a baby. And it's going to be the son of God. You're going to raise God's kid. No pressure, right? In moments of confusion, the Bible says Joseph was a holy and righteous man. And suddenly he's being ordered to get married to a single mom whose explanation is, I'm pregnant because God said I was supposed to be. I mean, you want to talk about confusion? But the response to their confusion is amazing. They believe and they obey. How are we doing with that this Christmas, Christ the King? Do you believe and will you obey? That's what happens when Joseph and Mary stay in that that new home in Egypt. They're gone for, for years until Herod dies. And then after being in Egypt for a little while and establishing a new home, guess what? Back to Nazareth again. The Bible says in Matthew 2, 19 to 23, it says this, after Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem back to Nazareth. Nazareth to Egypt, Egypt back to Nazareth. A lot of movement there, isn't there? A lot of leaving home, a lot of, a lot of packing and unpacking, a lot of establishing a home only to have to leave and go find a brand new one. I mean, you'd have to think that this had to wear on this little family, right? I mean, some of you have moved many, many times. You know the exhaustion that comes from trying to establish a new home. You know how difficult it is to pack up everything you got into boxes, move across the country, only to find out at some point you may have to move them all back. Laurel and I have only moved five times in our married life, and if I had to choose, I would never move again. Not because I don't like adventure, I just can't stand the mess, seriously. I mean, everything's got to just, what a, ugh, no thanks. So here comes the big question. What in the world are we supposed to learn from this transiency? I mean, I know some of you are going, you're going to have to stretch awfully far to have to figure out something biblical from this one, Pastor. I mean, unless you're getting us all to move somewhere else, right? I believe even in these little life details from this little family, there's some amazing spiritual lessons, and I believe they apply to every single person in this room. Here's the first spiritual truth that we learned from Joseph and Mary because they had to move a lot. It's this. Home is where God is. Home is where God is. The beauty of the omnipresence of God is that no matter where you are, God's already there. He's sitting right in front of you, behind you, and on either side of you right now. He has you completely and totally wrapped because wherever you are, God's already there. If you make your home at a location where God is, this is the beautiful thing. You're never without a home. You can be in the middle of Africa and be home. 
You can be in the middle of Waccamaw County and be home. You can be in the middle of nowhere and still be home because God is in all of those places. Because if you're a child of God, God resides in you and around you. And you're never without a home if God's already with you. If you know God, you're never not home. I mean, this is the beautiful thing. God's taken up residence in each one of us who've invited him to do so. And when we truly choose to live with him, to truly allow him access to the full residence of our heart, then that physical location, wherever we are, is a place of safety and acceptance and a hope and protection because God's already there. Where are you going after church? Where are you going after church? Home? God already beat you there. Where are you guys going? Linda, where are you going? You're going home too? I got great news for you. God is not already here with you, but he's going to be with you all the way home, and he's going to be waiting for you when you walk in the front door. Isn't that an amazing thing? You can never not be home if you already know God, because home is where God is. And that's where Joseph and Mary figured this out. It didn't matter where he sent them, because God was already there when they started on the journey and where they arrived. I don't care how alone you feel. You always have a home because home is where God is. Secondly, home is being at rest where God has placed you. I still remember arriving in Whatcom County. We moved into a little tiny house on the Hatley Road. Butch and Polly Quam, God bless their hearts, gave us this little tiny kind of mother-in-law house. And we got to move in on their property until we could figure out kind of where we wanted to, to move inside of the county And when we got there, we were scared. I mean, we'd left family. We'd left a church that we loved. We left a country. We left a life that we understood. We left winter. We came in February. We left winter behind. And suddenly we find ourselves sitting in this little tiny house in the middle of Whatcom County, surrounded by boxes and people that we didn't really know, starting a ministry that had no guarantees. And it rained all the time. And we were terrified. I remember crying myself to sleep the first night because it didn't feel like we were home. And everything in me wanted to just pack it all back, back to Manitoba where I understand how a world, where how life works. We were scared at the beginning. But pretty soon, that fear was replaced by a peace because we knew God had always led us always cared for us and was always watching over us and suddenly our security our home came from knowing that we were right in the center of god's will if you don't feel like your home deep inside of your heart could it possibly be that you've stepped outside of god's perfect will because i know something about being right in the palm the center of the palm of god's hand that's the safest and most peaceful place that you could ever ever be amen So if you're not feeling that peace, could it be that you've stepped out of God's will for your life and that you need to obediently move back to where God has for you? You know, God is the safest place we can be regardless of the circumstances that are happening around us. What else can we learn from Joseph and Mary? Well, I believe we need to learn this, that home is in your obedience. Home is in your obedience. God said, move. Joseph and Mary moved. They obeyed, and in doing that, they made obedience their home. God went with them. God led them, but their response was always absolute obedience. I believe this is the missing key to finding another way home this Christmas. 
Because without obedience, let me just say it nicely, you can't get home. Without obedience, you can't get home because home is where God is and God wants our obedience. That's how he loves and protects us. All right, let's get very, very real. In just a couple of days, most of us are either going home or home's coming to us, right? Some of us are excited. Others of us are freaking out because we know that where we're going isn't so great or the people that are coming this way, eh, you know what I'm talking about, right? So as we get ready to, to close tonight, I just want to give you some practical obedience pieces that I believe can transform your home if you'll make obedience your home. I think this is the most important thing. Joseph and Mary obeyed, always were home. If we're going to transform our homes, I believe we need to make obedience our home. So here's some Christmas obedience that if you do it, I guarantee you will transform the home wherever that happens to be. Yes, okay? Here's the first one. Ephesians 4.29. This is for all of us this Christmas. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Ooh, it got quiet. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me tell you what God is asking from you for this Christmas. Watch your mouth. Okay? Okay? Some of you are not going to like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You can claim to be the greatest spiritual giant on the face of the planet, but if you can't control this little muscle between your teeth and your gums, you're lying to yourself. If you can't control this, you're not a spiritual giant. You're a spiritual infant with a really big mouth, just so you know, okay? What does it mean? It means this. God is asking for us this Christmas for this piece of obedience. Think before you talk. Use this weapon that God put in your head for building people up and not wounding them. The Bible says that out of the mouth, the heart speaks. According to that definition, some of us are evil and wicked and we've murdered our mother-in-law over and over and over again because that's what's coming out of our mouth at Christmas time. Use this Christmas to speak life into somebody. To speak encouragement. To speak gratitude. To speak love to one another. You know, I'm amazed how you can be standing in the middle of a store and all chaos is breaking loose around you and somebody cuts in front of you and they give you that Christmas sneer I'm amazed what happens when you smile at them and say, Merry Christmas. It's an amazing thing. It's kind of like, you know, what are you doing, right? What are you on? I don't know about you, but God's people are supposed to be on Jesus at Christmas time. That's what we're supposed to be on. And when you celebrate the fact that God came here in spirit and in truth, it transforms the people around you. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. There's some Christmas obedience. Number two, from Romans 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Now be very careful if your response was, it is not possible to live at peace with my mother-in-law. All right? For the record, I love my mother-in-law. She's awesome. Do you notice that verse? Man, I've preached this thing so many times over the last eight years, but it's worth talking again. That verse says, as far as it depends on you. It doesn't say as far as it depends on them. It says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means this is not about their response to you. It's about controlling your response to them. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but that uncle that comes every year, man, he just pushes my buttons. That's not the obedience piece. The obedience piece is whether or not you're going to refuse to push his buttons. That's the biblical difference. And I'm going to tell you something. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That applies to who in the verse? Everyone. That means parents, this verse needs to travel down to your children. Kids, that means this verse needs to travel up to your parents. This verse includes everyone. So yes, it means this. Live at peace with your ex. I didn't say so, Jesus did. Live at peace with your obnoxious drunk uncle because you might be the only Jesus he sees this Christmas. Live at peace with your estranged family. Do you need some inspiration for this one? Let me just lay it out for you. Hopefully this will inspire all of us. Jesus, the pure and holy Son of God, came here so that we as sinners could find peace with his perfect heavenly Father. He made the way of peace through love and forgiveness, which means none of us as the people of God ever get to say, well, I'll forgive them and treat them nice when they ask for it. Do you know why we don't get to hold that one hostage? It's because of this simple fact. When Jesus was hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We weren't there. Which means this. He forgave us before we even had an opportunity to ask. Which means this. Can you find it in your heart to do the same? Even if it's someone who's hurt you very, very badly. I hurt Jesus very badly, and he said that his love would cover a multitude of my sins. If you want to be set free this Christmas... Forgive like Jesus forgave you. It will change your heart. You know, Ann Campbell, God bless her heart, has this amazing little statement. When negative comes, always respond in the opposite spirit. Somebody hits you with anger, give them love in return. Somebody hits you by being rude and insulting your ugly Christmas sweater. I'm sorry, people, they're all ugly. It's just the way it is, okay? All right? But respond in the opposite and say something gracious in return. The Bible says a soft answer turns away anger. How about this one? Another piece of obedience. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Why should I be obedient to that? Let me tell you why. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When you don't deserve it, Love covers a multitude of sins. When somebody else hurts you, love covers 
the multitude of sins. It's the way Jesus responded to us. Should we not respond in the same way to everybody else? And here's the last one from 1 Corinthians 11.25. I know this doesn't look like a Christmas verse, but it is. Do this in remembrance of me. On Sunday night, we're going to do communion because as God's family, Jesus our King told us to remember. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming on Sunday night. I'm just being as straight up as I possibly can. I'm telling you, your King told you to never forget why He came and to observe communion. He left His home to come and save us. He saved us with his death, his broken body, his spilled blood, and he's asked us to remember. So on Sunday night, the people of God, we're going to turn our televisions off. We're going to forego some other things that would be just easier or maybe even nicer to do. And we're going to come quietly and reverently, and we're going to get on our faces in front of God and say, thank you, God, for your indescribable gift. And it's not going to change him, but it's going to change us. My encouragement to you is to be obedient and come. Not because you have to, but because you get to. If you make obedience your home this Christmas, the Bible says you become a child of God's justice. Obedience makes you a righteous child. And I'd like to share with you a promise of what will happen in your home if you choose to be obedient to God this Christmas. And I'll tell you what. I can tell you what God wants from his people this Christmas. He wants us to obey. He wants us not just to be fond of him, but to follow him. And if we do, this is the promise from God to you for Christmas from Isaiah 32. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness will live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Do you know that God wants that for you? Do you know that that's available to you? Do you know how you get it? By making obedience your home. So, let's just have a real quick moment here, okay? Nobody looking around, just right, all right here. Let's just have a moment of honesty before God. If home for you is tough this year. Maybe you lost somebody. Maybe somebody left you. Maybe you're just scared because you don't know what's going to be coming. If, if home is it's just going to be tough for you, I'm going to let you define that. Would you do something courageous? Would you just stick your hand straight up? If home's scary for you, it's just tough. Hands straight up in the air. Okay, hold them straight up. Family, do you see how many of our brothers and sisters are just a little scared this Christmas? 
Thank you for your courage. You can put your hands back down. If home for you is not scary, would you do me a favor? Just put your hand up as a sign of saying thank you to God right now. That's awesome. We should be so unbelievably grateful. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to pray God's blessing over those of you where home is safe. And I'd like to pray God's protection over those of you where home is going to be tough. Okay? Normally, in a a moment like this, we might move around and lay hands on each other. This is what I need you to do no matter what. Don't forget the truth of the message. Home is where God is. God is with you right now, whether home is safe or scary. He is with you, and he wants nothing more this year than to make your heart his home. So let's pray up a storm here at the end of the service, okay? Let's pray together in Jesus' name right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that for those for whom home is tough this year, I pray right now that they would feel in their heart, in their spirit, and on their shoulders the comforting and strong hands of Jesus Christ right now. I pray that they would know that no matter where they go or what they face in this Christmas week, that you are there for them. That you are before them and behind them, on their right and on their left, above them and below them. That they are surrounded by you, that you are Emmanuel, God with them. Father, I pray spiritual protection over them. I pray that no weapon forged against them would stand. I pray that no word spoken anger would penetrate the incredible protection that you have for them. Jesus, I pray that they would only know you this Christmas. I pray that they would find a home wherever it is that you place them because you're already there and there's nowhere that they can go that escapes you. So, Father, for those of my brothers and sisters who are going to find home tough, I pray that they would find a home of peace with you this Christmas. Father, I pray that those of us who have a safe and warm place to be would not forget our brothers and sisters and that we would be praying for them throughout the day and throughout the season that they might know that not only are they loved by God, but they're loved by you too. So Jesus, for every man, woman, and child who will feel alone this Christmas, we pray that they would find their wholeness and their identity in you. Jesus, thank you for Joseph and Mary who struggled to find a home and yet found a home in you May we learn from them and be obedient like them as we walk tomorrow night through the cross and then on Christmas Eve to the manger.
where we will join our hearts and our voices in singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests in your precious and matchless and powerful and safe name. God's people prayed and said, Amen.